Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Trey Gowdy. I'm Jerry Willis. I'm Bill Hemmer, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Thursday, December 21st, 2023, on Mike Emanuel. For families of Israeli-American and Israeli hostages held by Hamas, the waiting is agonizing. It's been 75 days since Hamas took their loved ones with no contact. In our lives, there's the before and after October 7th. And uh, on that morning, uh, the world turned upside down. We have to believe that everyone understands the urgency. It has to be now. All of the hostages have to come home now. I'm Lisa Brady. One in five children in the U.S. doesn't have enough food. But food insecurity often takes a back seat to other needs. We are a very, very generous country. I think the key is for us to have uh, an awareness of the problem. We're not inclined to solve for a problem we don't think we have. And I'm Tammy Bruce. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. For 75 days, Hamas has held Israeli civilians hostage, including a small group of American citizens. Hamas released some hostages when there was a negotiated ceasefire last month. And now President Biden is facing questions about if there could be a new ceasefire to get more Israeli hostages home. Are we expecting a hostage deal anytime soon? Yes. Oh, really? Where? Over it. Oh, no, I was, I was talking about it. You're talking about it. We're pushing it. We, I, I don't, there's no expectation at this point. National Security Council spokesman John Kirby says U.S. officials are working on it. Nothing's more important to President Biden than the safety and security of Americans overseas. Commensurate with that obligation is doing everything we can to get those that are detained overseas in a wrongful way home with their families where they belong. When it comes to the war against Hamas, IDF international spokesperson Lieutenant Colonel Jonathan Conriquez told me they must be forced back to the negotiating table. The only way that we're going to bring them to the negotiating table once again is when they feel like that their back is to the wall and they have nowhere to go because those people for them are nothing more than a bargaining chip. For the families of those still being held hostage, this is personal and the pain is agonizing. Well, it was uh, the early morning of October 7th. Jonathan Dekelchen's son, Sagi, is being held hostage by Hamas. We speak with Sagi's father and stepmother, Gillian Kay. Um, as it turns out, Gillian and I were in Baltimore that morning. I was on my way to an academic conference. Um, a friend of ours texted us that, in, in great concern that she had seen something on the news that there was some kind of violent episode going on in our area of the country in Israel. So we got up and it took a little while between looking at the news in, in, in the States and then also getting in contact with my family on the kibbutz. And uh, by that time, it was about 1 p.m. Uh, on the kibbutz. The attack, Hamas's attack had been going on already 
for quite a few hours. And immediately uh, I understood that Sagi had, we had lost contact with Sagi several hours before that. And there really wasn't much contact with his wife as well. All of this, of course, was uh, incredibly concerning. Uh, my daughter and her family were okay, but uh, hiding really and, and taking cover in their bomb shelter. Uh, very shortly after that, having seen the internal kibbutz WhatsApp bulletin board, uh, it, it was clear that there was a horrific massacre going on uh, on our kibbutz and our community. Uh, the result of which was 35 people being murdered uh, from two years old uh, to people in their 80s, and that approximately 80 people, including my son Sagi, had been taken hostage, and the kibbutz itself had been looted and then burned to the ground. So uh, in our lives, there's the before and after October 7th. And uh, on that morning, uh, the world turned upside down. And since then, we've uh, really are... are Hearts and minds have been with Sagi and, and all of the other hostages. Gillian, what was that first week like for you and your family? Uh, it was nightmarish. Um, I think one of the things that we kept feeling was that it was impossible to wrap our heads around what had happened, that mm -hmm. Sagi was kidnapped, that... Our friends and neighbors had been taken, had been executed, had been murdered. And there was so much trauma. Um, all of the families, my stepdaughter and her husband and the grandchildren who had been in their shelter for hours while Hamas rampaged through the kibbutz and their apartment. Um, it was it was incomprehensible and desperate and terrifying. My understanding is rescued hostages were able to give you the amazing news that they did see Sagi alive within the tunnels. Jonathan, what was your reaction to this information after weeks of really having no idea where he might be? Well, first I'll say that um, of the hundred or so hostages that were released in that first round of exchange of, of hostages for prisoners, um, Palestinian prisoners, we were overjoyed because 30, a little over 30 of those host released hostages were from my kibbutz, my community. And that's how we all learned, the survivors of the attack, uh, a great deal about the hostages that were still being held. So, of course, all of us were thrilled to see the released hostages, relieved to hear some news about our loved ones. But as we heard their their stories about what it was like in captivity, what the conditions were, the physical, medical, psychological. It was uh, sort of a double-edged, it was a double-edged moment. And that was the last news we've had from Sagi, from those, um, from those uh, mostly uh, older women. That's uh, as of three and a half weeks ago. And, and, and since we have no idea what has become of him or any of the other hostages. We do know that there are hostages who are dying in captivity. We've had several notices like that from Hamas. And we know, of course, of the tragic incident where three of the hostages who had managed to escape somehow um, from Hamas captivity in a town called Sijaya were accidentally shot by Israeli soldiers. So we are incredibly concerned 
uh, about Sagi and, 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 and everyone else. Gillian, has the Israeli government given you any hope or guarantee that they are actively working to get him home? You know, um, I think we need to believe that everyone, the Israeli government, certainly we know the American administration, the Qataris, the Egyptians, we need to believe that everyone and the Israelis, of course, uh, are working to get our hostages home. It's impossible situation. It's 75 days. It is too many days. We have to believe that everyone understands the urgency. It is, has to be now. All of the hostages have to come home now. We simply can't wait another day. What's kept you going during this time that is unfathomable for so many of us as you wait for Sagi's return, Jonathan? Well, Mike, I keep one image in my mind, uh, and, and that keeps me going. And it is that one of these days, tomorrow, I hope, maybe even tonight, uh, Sagi uh, will walk into some room or walk into some hallway um, after being released, and his two little girls, his two-year-old and his six-year-old, will go running and leaping into his arms. I hope he can walk on his own two feet to pick them up. And then he will go hug his wife and their newborn baby. Um, we're working so that um, that vision will come true and similar visions will come true for all of the, I believe now, 129 hostages who are still being held in the tunnels beneath Gaza in Hamas captivity. What's it been like working closely with the president of the United States, something most people, Gillian, don't ever imagine to happen in this lifetime? What's that experience been like? Yeah, it's been really um it's been inspirational, I think, for us and for the American hostage family, certainly. Um, we've had really incredible partnership and transparency and openness from President Biden, his administration, and um, in our meeting with um, Director Burns at the CIA. We have uh, hope and confidence, certainly, that they are working as hard as possible to bring not only the American hostages home, but all of the hostages. We felt um, really buoyed by their support and their partnership. Jonathan, do you think there could be another temporary ceasefire on the horizon? And how necessary do you think this approach is to saving these hostages? Well, look, at the end of the day, the Israeli and, and Hamas leaderships have to, in some way, not directly, of course, but through intermediaries, have to come to some kind of agreement, whatever we call it. Um, our desire, our demand is that it happen immediately, whether that is through ne a negotiated process or through any other means. There's a moral, political, and, and humanitarian imperative to get these hostages out. These are civilians. These are people who were ripped from their homes. Leaving them there, from all that we understand, is a death sentence and I think would be just a disaster on multiple fronts. So whatever gets them home is the right thing. Gillian, have you been surprised by reaction here in the United States to Hamas's attack on these innocent Israelis? 
Um, you know, I'm going to choose not to to comment on that because I feel like for us, it's a distraction. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll just say that, you know, all hate is is really is just is terrible and poisonous. But right now, our message and our focus is around the humanitarian issue, as Jonathan said, of bringing these hostages home now and not allowing them to uh, to fade away or die in captivity. We have to get them home now. And that's just really our focus. These days, the two parties in Congress don't agree on much. You've had an opportunity to meet with some congressional leaders. Jonathan, are they unified on this issue, bringing the innocent people home? I think all of us, the American hostage families and and and, and everyone else, are incredibly grateful and appreciative of the fact that um, uh, Congress people, both in the House and in the Senate, from wall to wall, as you mentioned, really have come together in support for this issue of getting the hostages out. You know, they are aware of the urgency. And in all of the meetings that we've had, and you know, we've had quite a few, and I know other American families have, have had many more, we always come away with this, this feeling and this understanding that, you know, the our elected officials, and again, from wall to wall, understand that kind of humanity is on the line here, whatever one's political orientation, that, you know, the fact of the matter is that I would imagine almost, if not all of the hostages by now are in dire medical and psychological condition. This is life and death, and this has nothing to do with the pursuit of a war. And so we've been really encouraged by that. And and again, particularly because um, politics these days, American politics certainly are so polarized pretty much on everything else. Jonathan Gillian, thank you for taking the time to share such an emotional story with us. We will pray for Sagi's safe return. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Hey, it's Will Kane of the Will Kane Podcast. This week, we take up former NFL running back Rashard Mendenhall's suggestion of an all-white versus all-black Pro Bowl. Who makes what squad? Plus, what has happened to Senator John Fetterman? Check out the Will Kane Podcast at Fox News Podcast, Apple, or Spotify. This is Tammy Bruce with your Fox News commentary coming up. This is a popular time of year for helping those less fortunate. However, the need in America is year-round, especially at food banks. We've been seeing skyrocketing demand for food in our community. Sheldon Good is director of development for Manna on Main Street in Lansdale, Pennsylvania. He tells Fox 29 with grocery prices still rising, the end of pandemic relief has hit hard. The average household in Pennsylvania lost $181 a month basically overnight as of March due to federal changes in law uh, having to do with the end of the public health emergency. And the challenges evolve, too. 
Right now, New York is one of multiple cities trying to accommodate a large number of migrants. But City Council member Julie Wan says many others are still in need, including residents of the city's public housing program, or NYCHA. We would never turn anyone away for a meal, but there simply just is not enough for both NYCHA residents and the migrant shelter residents. Nationwide, the USDA reporting nearly 13 percent of U.S. households facing food insecurity in 2022, including millions more children. The worst numbers in nearly a decade. Food insecurity is not exactly the same for every person. There are different gradations and levels of food insecurity. Claire Bobino fontenot is the CEO of Feeding America. At its core, what it really means is it's when you don't know um, where your next meal or the next or the next or the one after that might be coming from. So you don't have a consistent way of getting access to nutrition that you need. And there's a spectrum. Some people find themselves in that position infrequently and only in emergencies. Others find themselves in that position every day and every month. Wow. And if you don't know where your next meal is coming from, that can make you feel insecure in a lot of different ways, you know, beyond just the food, I would imagine. So that's that's really stark. The, the U.S. Agriculture Department says the number of people living in food insecure households increased by 31 percent in 2022 yes. last year. Right. The biggest one year increase since 2008. What happened last year? What What's driving that? I mean, there's some devastating implications for for people if they don't get the nutrition they need, for little kids, for students, for seniors, their implications. So um, it it's the foundation access to nutritious food. So then to the question you asked about, so what on earth is going on with the new food insecurity rates that the USDA published? If I can step back and share that before the pandemic, about 34 million people reported being food insecure. That's in 2019. And that represented us actually making some progress where year after year, food insecurity rates were going down. Pandemic hits, food insecurity rates went up to 38 million people. But we were starting to put in place some measures that helped people to get access to more nutrition. We relaxed rules like uh, SNAP rules, we said, SNAP, otherwise formerly known as food stamps. And we said, uh, we're going to make it easier for you to get access to these programs. The federal government stepped up and provided extra food from federal government commodities during that time. So it was starting to happen. And about 60 million people turned to the charitable food system for help. And that's the organization. The Feeding America Network comprises the vast majority of the charitable food system. We are over 200 food banks, over 60,000 agency partners and meal programs all across the country. So I just wanted to paint that picture. So here we are, first year of the pandemic, the numbers go up, but they don't go, go up as high as the numbers of people accessing the charitable food system. The next year, we've got a whole bunch of supports in place and the number went down mm-hmm. and that was beautiful. And then- Right, that was a lot of help during the pandemic. Exactly. And then when those supports went away, that's what happened. So what you're looking at in those most recent USDA numbers is what happened when those supports went away. And to know that in our country, over 13 million kids don't have access to the food that they need. That's one out of every five children in this country. Uh, 
to know 44 million people in this country don't have access to the food that they need. And I think about right now around the holidays, how American traditions are so embedded in a food culture, how you gather around a big table with a turkey or a ham or whatever it is that your family uses, but food will be at the center of that table. And there'll be tens of millions of people without the assistance of, and generosity of people like your listeners who simply will not be able to participate. Fox listeners and viewers have been absolutely instrumental in helping through the pandemic. Millions and millions of meals have been provided due to the generosity of your listeners. So one of the things I wanted to come on to do is to thank them. I also wanted them to understand that we're not done. There's more work to do. But when we work together, when we put aside all the things that could divide us and we focus in on a problem, there is no country that is better equipped to solve big issues than we are. I, I appreciate that. Um, do you see generally, you know, during the holiday season, an increase in donations because it's a charitable time of year and people, it's sort of more front of mind for people? Yes, we do. And we're thankful that that happens. Thanksgiving and Christmas in particular are times when when it's top of mind. I think, I think when we're sitting around our tables counting our blessings, we're more likely to then contemplate who does not share those blessings. And again, we are a very, very generous country. I think the key is for us to have uh, an awareness of a problem. We're not inclined to solve for a problem we don't think we have. But then there's it's also a time of increased need. You almost can't get to a place where, you know, the donations match the need because there's always more, you know, food insecure people. And I'm also wondering, though, did the pandemic impact donations? And has that had a, a lasting impact? Was there a trend with donations that started during the pandemic, good or bad, that has continued? Yeah, so there there was definitely a trend in during the height of the pandemic, um, overwhelming generosity, overwhelming support, including from the government. This is one of the areas where we were able to make our way through to bipartisan legislation that was designed to help and that did help. And then um, it has it started ticking down and now it's down significantly. And I think it's because people don't have a perception that the need is still there, except it is. Uh, so we've seen decrease in federal commodities. We've seen decrease in individual donations to food banks and pantries. We've seen a decrease in money that's being provided as well. But unfortunately, we're not seeing demand decrease. Mm -hmm. Well, and I'm sure and, that uh, in this whole fight with inflation that's gone on for a few years now can't possibly have helped because people are having such a hard time making ends meet. And the other part of that is, I know your group says one out of every six people, one out of every six people turned to charitable, the charitable food sector for help last year. Yes. Has there been a change in who and how many need help to make ends meet? There has. So I would think your audience would be surprised to learn that more and more people with higher and higher income 
are turning to the charitable food system. And I think what's going on, number one, let's talk about inflation for a moment. Inflation has come down and that's good. But the place where inflation is stubbornly high is with food, especially nutritious food. When housing prices are up, as you see that they are now, when people can't afford because of interest rates, they can't even afford to buy a home and rent is, is ridiculously high. When childcare costs are up, all of those things impact their ability to feed their families. And the thing is, on the one hand, if you don't pay part of your rent, you're going to get kicked out of your apartment. If you don't eat as much, you'll try your best to make your way. So people tend to cut corners on their nutrition because they can't cut corners in other places. During the peak of the pandemic, as I would go out to food distributions across the country, so often I'd have people in those lines tearfully explain to me that they remember many, many, many times when they and their kids went to the food bank and volunteered. And they never imagined the day would come when they would need food from that same food bank. So we've seen some changes for sure. Wow. Does your organization, Feeding America and others like it, do you consider yourselves filling in gaps in government assistance or working with the government? Um, you know, and what do you see going forward as something that can help more with this problem overall? Yeah, so I think it would be yes and to your question. We work very closely with the government, but we are the safety net for the safety net. We've got a farm bill coming up. It happens once every five years. The farm bill includes provisions for that federal commodities that I talked about, which is the emergency food assistance program, sometimes called TFAP. And it also has SNAP in it. And I love the way the farm bill is structured because it puts farmers and the government and people experiencing hunger all together as partners. We have partnered with farmers. <laughs> uh, farmers Feed America is a coalition that Feed America is, has been spearheading. And I'm optimistic about what's happening there where people are demonstrating a willingness to put aside the things that divide us and to focus in on things that can unite us. And when we do, everybody wins. Every single body wins. What is the best way for people to donate to Feeding America to help your organization so that you can continue to help so many others? Well, I would say go to feedingamerica.org. Feeding America at the national level, which is the organization I'm the CEO of, is well positioned to convert your $1 into 10 meals, which I think is better than you can do buying some green beans from your local grocery store. So you can do that. I also encourage people to use the food bank locator that's on that same website. I continue to be so optimistic about where we're going to go. Although I understand it's going to be lumpy and bumpy. It won't be easy. But America's built tough. We can do hard things, but we do best when we do things together. And I'm excited to be a part of that. Claire Bobineau Fontenot, CEO of Feeding America. Thank you so much for all you do and for sharing your time with us. Thank you for having me. 
This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table, the Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts. Subscribe to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Tammy Bruce. What's on your mind? If I described a place where cocaine was found, an animal costumed mascot was twerking during an event with kids present, and trans activists stripped semi-naked, you might think I was talking about a grungy club in New York, but you'd be wrong. All of that happened at the Biden White House. Yes, our White House in Washington, D.C. All of this and more brought to us by President Joe Biden, whose 2020 campaign for the presidency emphasized, ironically, restoring dignity and bringing normalcy and decency back to the country. The latest from the normal, dignified, and decent team at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue is the traditional White House Christmas video. Really, Americans wonder, how can you screw that up? What could go wrong, we ask? Well, plenty, apparently, plenty. First Lady Jill Biden unveiled this year's Christmas video on the Platform X and posted a bit of magic, wonder, and joy brought to you by the talented tappers of Dorrance Dance, performing their playful interpretation of the Nutcracker Suite. Enjoy! Strangely, while there is plenty of tap dancing, the video doesn't mention Christmas or the birth of Jesus. Do the people running the White House know that we know what Christmas is? Or perhaps they're pretending that Christmas is now a generic winter festival, just like how they pretend that the border is closed, the economy is fine, and Joe Biden has nothing to do with Hunter's business dealings. While I've infrequently had the flu in my life, and when COVID struck me back in 2021, I had what can only be described as fever dreams of cartoons in Technicolor like Roger Rabbit or a delirium-fueled Wizard of Oz. While sometimes I thought we were living in a nightmare, never did I think the Bidens would go so far as to remind me of their disturbing, delirious nonsense during Christmas. But then again, perhaps the stunningly awful Christmas video is the best representation of the Biden administration to date. But there's more. The Dorrance Dance Troupe and Jill Biden's Winter Tap Dance Festival video aren't just tappers. They're also social justice warriors. The Daily Caller reports the New York City-based troupe, Dorrance Dance, notes on its website that at its core, tap dance is a subversive form. The company supports Black Lives Matter and features anti-racism resources on its website, including ways to educate oneself about white privilege, systemic racism, white fragility, and anti-racism. Oh, really? And how clever. We are using taxpayer funds to pay ostensibly for the traditional Christmas video and have it go right into the hands of political activists? The publicity alone has likely driven enough cash to their coffers to make even Hunter Biden blush. The First Lady posted the video, which runs a little over two minutes and has been viewed millions of times, 
Unsurprisingly, the video says nothing about the 92 radical causes that Dorrance Dance encourages uh, visitors to its website to support. Christmas is supposed to be about peace on earth and goodwill toward all. It's supposed to be a time of unity where politics are set aside. The Biden Christmas video conveys the opposite message, an embrace of the hard left and a rejection of the holiday spirit. First Lady Melania Trump's 2020 White House Christmas video set the gold standard. Like Mrs. Trump, the video exuded classic elegance. The former First Lady appeared briefly, but the focus of the video was on the beautiful trees and the Christmas decorations. No dancers of any political persuasion spoiled the holiday cheer. I have no idea what the new normal and dignified in Washington, D.C. will cough up next, but I do know all Americans deserve better. I'm Tammy Bruce, a contributor at Fox News, and this column originally appeared at AMAC.us. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. And now, stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox.